be picky about who you work with. Like if there's a personality flaw or or if when you're talking to a VC and, and something comes through, that's not gonna go away. It's kind of like a marriage. Like if if he's a frog when you kiss, you know, he's not gonna, yeah, he's still gonna be a frog when you leave the altar type thing. And it's not that you're married forever, but you're if there's a management style issue or expectation that really doesn't sit with you well, like make sure that it's not a deal breaker. And if it is a deal breaker, don't feel bad if you're like, this isn't going to work. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Slice Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Susan Westwater, CEO and co-founder of Pragmatic Digital. Pragmatic is a voice consulting firm that is helping brands identify where voice fits in their marketing ecosystem. Susan is a content strategist, speaker, founder, and author of Voice Strategy, available on Amazon. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I am so excited to not only learn more about you, but kind of dive into Pragmatic and Talk about voice, being that this is a podcast in audio and we're using our voices. I feel like we can really, there's a lot of synergy here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So tell me a little bit about where you're from and where you went to school. Sure. Um, so I grew up outside of Chicago um, and then uh, went to what was at the time Rosary College. Um, at, when I graduated, they changed their name. I'm not going to take that personally, um, but it is now Dominican University, um, and that's in River Forest, Illinois. Um, I actually graduated with a double major, which is kind of funny because at the time, going to a liberal arts school, uh, my family was sort of like, is any of this actually relate to what you want to be when you grow up? Um, and the funny thing is, is it's come full circle now that I work in voice tech content strategy, my right. writing degrees really make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's awesome. So it was writing and fine arts? Uh, it's a minor in fine arts. Uh, it was um, English with business writing and business writing. So okay. creative writing, business writing. Awesome. Awesome. And then so what was your first job out of college? Um, so my first job out of college actually started while I was in college. Um, okay. I actually was an assistant who is helping a uh, an, a small agency. I ended up being employee number four at a, a small agency called The Grand Group. And I got my first start working for two incredible people, uh, Chris Hari and Tom Stieferman, who gave me the chance to figure out if I wanted to be a creative because in all thought, I thought I'd be this great writer. And then as I got to understand the craft of being able to write headlines about, let's say, cocoa mix mm -hmm. uh, on demand, that was nowhere near the creative, the creative chops that I had. So I got into strategy and account management. And that was where I learned the ropes and learned how to do a lot, everything from answering phones to having to spray mount concept boards when we were going to present to our like really big clients to being able to set up shoots where Michael Jordan was going to be. So it was oh, pretty, cool. a pretty awesome experience of knowing like, here's the grunt work, here's the real work and here's some of the glamour. Right. So you were able to, yeah, exactly. To kind of dip your toe into a couple different things and really round out. Yeah. 
and just kind of find out the hard parts and the, and the, the easy parts. Um, yeah. like that's not, you know, it wasn't just, Hey, come up with cool ideas. It was definitely, here's how we bill for things. Here's how you make the money. Here's how you manage the money. Here's how you have to get paid. Mm-hmm. And then here's, here's what you do to get paid. Right. Of, here's the services and things like that. Which is important because when you are a creative, you know, it, it's important to layer on that second layer, and then so that's the full package, right? So you have the creative part, but then you have that know-how. Um, yeah. Exactly. So where did that take you next after you finished there? So I ended up going into a career that was in marketing and advertising. I went to, after being employee number four at a 20-some person shop, I went to the big time and worked at an agency that is now Arc Worldwide. So that was like employee 600 and something. Right. And that was a whole new world of like now I suddenly wasn't wearing all the hats and it was saying I wore different hats, Mm -hmm. um, but saying, Oh my gosh, what is my job now? Um, and learned about what it's like to work in that type of environment. Um, and that took me for a while. And then I got into, um, that's when I began my career in understanding digital because not to date myself, but that was when the web became something important. Mm-hmm. Um, mobile became important, social, all of those things during the rest of my career. And then I went corporate a few years, um, a few years ago, actually. Um, now it's about six years ago. I went corporate just to see what that's like. And that was suddenly being in an organization of, you know, 50,000 people, 100,000 mm-hmm. people and understanding this is how I live with that. And that's pretty much what pushed me towards starting and founding uh, the agency that we have of our consultancy, because um, my husband and I were both on those tracks saying, you know what, this isn't what I want to be when I grow up. I want, I want more control. I want to be able to hand take on the projects that I want to work on, not that get handed to me. Not the delegation. That was my next question of the three different environments, which one would you say you gravitated towards? So it turns out none of them And you decided to make your own. Yeah, absolutely. The experience was great. And the knowledge, because we worked with big brands and little brands, um, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 100, and then was now are able to apply that to any size brand, which Mm -hmm. is really kind of awesome. Um, And that's where our love of voice tech comes in as well, of being able to say, I want to focus on voice tech. I want to understand it. Um, and then I want to be able to use all of the knowledge I have about marketing and advertising and apply that. Right. So for those listeners who won't know, can you explain to us on a granular level, what exactly is pragmatic digital? What's the need that you're solving? And what do you mean when you say voice tech? Sure. So I'll start first with voice tech and defining what that is. So that is At its highest level, it means that you are able to control a device, be it, say, your car, your appliance, or even the smart speaker or your phone, you're able to control that with your your voice. Um, So that's pretty broad and pretty high up there, but that's where we work into conversational artificial intelligence and understanding how do we take spoken word, translate that into a request or a command, and then how do we either put something back to them so that to the user so that they can get the answer that they're looking for or they can complete the task that they're trying to do. Um, and where we specialize is there is a lot of voice tech right now, thanks to Amazon and Google Assistant, uh, that goes and focuses on sort of voice as a product, like play a game. Uh, listen to music, those Mm -hmm. very simple tasks. And where we're looking and where we help is we help where voice tech is part of a customer experience. And we help brands understand 
if I use voice for this, I'm making it easier. Here's where this makes sense. So we look along, you know, the, the customer journey. Um, so that's all the way from awareness to retention with purchase in the middle of where does it make sense to use some of this technology? And it could be using the smart speaker. It could be simple as onboarding, or it could be, uh, handling and so that we're web and we're voice enabling their website or um, their mobile apps. So we're trying really hard to help understand how do we make this easier. It's not just tech for tech's sake. Um, and that's kind of one of the challenges because it's taken a while for voice tech to get mature enough that it's something that you could use. But a lot of folks um, obviously would think of it as sort of their Amazon Alexa is mm -hmm. at, the, at the most basic level. Okay. And so what kind of industries do you do you help with then? So that's fun because it is innovation and it is a little bit digital transformation. Um, we are looking for more of a, a client type than we are for a particular industry. Between my husband and myself, we have regulated and unregulated industry experience. I've worked on higher education, airlines, uh, liquor and spirits, you know, um, down all those paths. And my husband has worked on healthcare. And he's also worked on uh, the pharmaceutical and the medical device side, as well as working on a bunch of other brands that are out there like SC Johnson and, and things like that. So we have a really deep understanding of most consumer packaged goods, retail, financial services, those particular things. But what we're looking for is the types of, of marketing and brand teams and even product teams that are wanting to innovate that are wanting to push along gotcha. that way. Um, so that's where then we're looking. So it's it's a needle in a haystack and the haystack's the size of a football field right now. And was, this is still emerging tech in a lot of ways. Right. So Sure. That's so neat. And so am I correct that your husband is your co-founder? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was able to draw that, <laughs> that <Yeah>. line. <laughs> that's so cool. So, and then this was, did you say six years ago? Um, we actually uh, founded... Oh, we founded Pragmatic uh, on December 31st, 2017. 2017. So it's a little... the one New Year's Eve resolution we've, we've kept. So. Uh, that is really cute. I was actually going to ask whose idea was it, yours or his? Um, it was, I think it was both of ours. Um, it's kind of funny. We were a few months earlier, we were sitting in like of all places, like a BW3 sitting there saying this, you know what? I like taking lunch. I like being able to have the ability to... Um, figure out what projects we want to work on. Why aren't we thinking, we, we both have been through all of the gamuts of agency life. Why don't we do our own thing? And that way then we can, you know, look at emerging technologies and not have to build a case before we're even allowed to pitch it. Right. And so that was when we decided, so it was kind of a, a collective decision to kind of put it together and it kind of required that since it's both of us mm -hmm. uh, who suddenly were, were dropping our full-time jobs and we're, we're going down this path. So were you nervous? Cause you're both first time founders and was that scary to you at all? Like just getting into this VC heavy world and the, yes. the fundraising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. I will say it was, especially as, um, as a female founder, uh, jumping into I always that. I ask that question. So thanks for yeah. <laughs> plugging that. Sure. No, but yeah, as a female founder, it definitely was because it was walking into rooms and finding that, yeah, I'm the minority in here, but, um, as far as gender is concerned, so I'm going to have to really step up 
um, and not be afraid, not not wait my turn, which mm-hmm. is something um, I myself have to work on <laughs> um, of always reminding myself of just just speak up. It's right. you know, you have something to say, we said, as opposed to um, I think the best description I've heard is take up the space. You know, take up mm-hmm. take up the space in the room and 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 earn, you know, you don't have to earn it. You just take it. I like that. I'm going to remember that. Sam, write that down. <laughs> that's great <laughs> advice. So yeah. that's really cool. How would you say? So that was 2017. When you look back at your experiences up until this point, how would you say your view of what an entrepreneur is has changed? Um, gosh, it has changed quite a bit. I, I think I've become a bit more jaded. Um, because we met, you know, you meet a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, um, especially kind of in the, in in the voice tech space for a while there when it was the hot, shiny toy. Um, I think right now, when we think about the evolution, we're kind of in that trough of disillusionment coming out of it. But for a while it was like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, but I haven't quit my day job. And it's sort of that that's cool. You have a side hustle. And I think that's an entrepreneur, but like when we stepped away from our full-time gigs where we knew where our payment was coming, you know, like mm-hmm. we knew that every, every two Fridays, we are going to get money in the bank. Um, it does change the stress level. Right. I do also think that, um, it's real easy to get sucked into the hustle and the whole, all the conversations. I think it's changed my, my perspective perception of, no, this is about a commitment and this is about putting it's not about how much you do. It's about what you do right? and prioritizing that. That's really cool. Is there a particular obstacle or risk that you and your husband had to overcome? And could you tell us about that and how you ended up overcoming it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the big risk was obviously we suddenly went from both of us having six-figure jobs to, all right, it's what we make. It's what we have. And I mean, healthcare was in itself is a challenge, I think, for every entrepreneur in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, in talking with others who work, like let's say out of London, who we're good friends with, it's amazing how that changes the story about how you expand, how you hire up, um, all of those things, because suddenly that that huge expense comes off of the equation of when you're trying to add to your team. Um, I it, it was a huge risk to us, like the whole thing that I think we had to look at was just, all right, if this doesn't work, what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, we have a child, we have a, a kid who's, we have to take care of too. It's one thing when it's just the two of us and we can live on, you know, well, I guess we'll just eat ramen. Right. Um, kind of can't explain that to, uh, to a five-year-old, you know, right. Hey, but, um, I would say that the trade-off has been amazing in the sense of, uh, I remember someone once saying to me when they were going to go from freelance, they said, well, I'm to, to a full-time employee, you know, working for someone else. And they said, well, I've decided to, um, give up the notion, um, the illusion of freedom for the illusion of security. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something too, that you kind of break through is you realize that if your skin's in the game, you're going to make it work. But more so than that, um, these days, and I think COVID definitely the pandemic has shown that there are no guarantees in life. Right. Um, so, you, so if not it's now, sort of, when? type five, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. It's sort of that whole idea of if I want to have the work-life balance or the life I want to have or work on the clients I want to, um, no one's going to do that for me. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have to to take that risk and make that jump. But I mean, it was definitely a big risk of, hey, one of us should keep our day job maybe, 
But then it was sort of like, well, that's not fair. So we, you know, the way that something's worked out with my corporate job, it just was a perfect transition. So, well, that's great. Just, you know, just rip the security blanket right off. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's Sam. Have you listened to our newest segment, Slice Snippets? No? Well, you totally should. These episodes were recorded live in person at the Unmet AZ conference back in early October. We hope that you enjoy hearing the impactful founders' stories just as much as we enjoyed recording them. Up next, Susan and Emily discuss some unexpected advice and why it's not about what you do, but how you do it. So I am curious because you're not just a founder, as we mentioned in your intro, speaker and author. So tell us a little bit about your book and Voice Masters. Sure, definitely. So um, because when we first started getting into voice, I come from a content strategy perspective. So it's all about content and understanding what strategic levers to pull and all of the idea of solving um, business problems while remaining customer centric. That's a very different world than say a development team thinks about things. And mm-hmm. my husband also has a UX uh, background. He is more on the visual design side. So our skill sets complement each other. And we had quite a few folks in the voice industry after they were like, you're not a developer. You don't work for Amazon. What are you doing here? Um, and and explaining them the strategic value that we bring of understanding of not just build things, but build the right thing and build the right roadmap. So you're not building all the things, Right. Um, figuring all of that out. We put that into a book and that's what voice strategy is. But our goal was to write it not um, in a way that businesses could understand and that marketers could understand. So it was more in that type of speak than as, you know, here's how to build it. Here's why. Mm-hmm. And here's where you want to uh, examine opportunities of where you can use not just, quite frankly, voice tech, but any tech of if you're going mm-hmm. to innovate, here's ways to think and approach that so that you're not recreating the wheel every time. If you're improving experiences, chances are there's some place you can pull from. So start there and then build um, as opposed to just a blank white slate that can be incredibly intimidating. Wow, that's really cool. So you, you've written a book. Yeah, um, we, we self-published that one and we're actually working on another book with some authors that will be coming out uh, in, I think, late 2022 and it's called Voice Marketing. Um, and oh. it's very much looking at a, a deeper dive into some of the concepts we have in voice strategy. So, and we'll be working with a publisher on that one. That is so neat. That's really great. So you stay busy. We try. Yes. <laughs> and, and part of it was that we can't be everywhere. Um, you know, there aren't a million voice strategists. So it's right. how do we get this information? Also, we found ourselves doing a lot of education and that's where voice masters comes in mm-hmm. of um, it. We aren't the only one, you know, we're an army of two, the two of us working on certain things, even with our team. How do we get our information out there? How do we get that education out there? And that's where voice masters comes in of helping again, We do instructional things so that agencies can understand, here's how I can sell voice in. And so we've led some research projects and done things along those paths to have the data to tell the business story, not just the, wouldn't it be cool? Right. Um, Because that's not going to get funded. Right. Yeah. And then you mentioned like emerging tech, it's still emerging. Do you see any industry trends 
in the future? Like, is there anything in voice? I find it very interesting, very cool. Is there anything, I mean, where do you think we'll be with voice in a couple years? So I think that one of the things about voice is that it's become, um, uh, what's it, Roger Kibbe from uh, Viv Labs at Samsung talks about it being an expected modality. And so I think that voice will become that. And then I think that's going to start to pave the way towards ambient computing um, and towards that whole concept of the metaverse of where uh, we're living in these two worlds of the real and the virtual. And so AR and VR, I think, are going to be really important. Mm -hmm. The the interesting thing with voice is that we're talking about podcasting and that falls under the realm. But so if we get all the audio right and we have audio branding, we have all of those things, I think those are all going to be areas of where we expand basically our purview of how we interact and engage with not just brands, but products and just whole experiences of bringing them into virtual and and into our world that way. Mm I think that that's an exciting place to live. It's very, you know, the, the life of having a Jarvis, we're pretty far off from Jarvis. Um, we're probably closer to Rosie the robot from the Jetsons of command and control and a little bit of personality. Um, there are some assistants out there with tons of personality, um, but it's like the task helping in the assistant part. Right. So I think that that's where we're going to start to see that. I don't, I don't know how far we'll get as the world is changing in terms of privacy requirements. But I think that that's also something where voice is still early enough that we're in a position um, to be able to be smarter about Mm -hmm. asking those questions. Because Mm -hmm. back in the 90s, we didn't know to ask about data collection and all of that stuff. And we just kind of did it, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Right. Wow, that's so neat. This is just really interesting to me. So I am, you kind of, you touched on this a little bit when you mentioned your experience as a female founder, but I do want to circle back to fundraising Mm -hmm. and, you know, any insights that you, you maybe gleaned from that experience that you could share with another founder? Absolutely. I think the thing is, is there are groups out there that now, now more than ever, there's been a spotlight between the Melinda Gates Foundation looking and saying there just aren't enough female run owned companies and there's not enough funding that's happening is there's a lot of a lot more resources today uh that you can do um women in voice actually does like uh i want to say quarterly or monthly like pitch got coaching to help um female founders and actually female or minority founders be able to um basically hone their skills mm-hmm. or you know, figure out their pitch so that they can then move on and start to get into meeting with VCs. I think the other thing too is, and this is hard um, as we're currently working on a project I can't talk about, but it is something we're seeking funding for is be picky about who you work with. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a personality flaw or, or if when you're talking to a VC and, and something comes through, that's not going to go away. It's kind of like a marriage. Like if, if he's a frog, you, can't when you, change just, you know, he's not going <laughs> to, yeah, he's right. still going to be a frog when you leave the altar type thing. Right. And it's not that you're married forever, but you're, if there's a management style issue or expectation that really doesn't sit with you well, like make sure that it's not a deal breaker. And if it is a deal breaker, don't feel bad if you're like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, I, I think if anything, um, I regret more when I don't trust my gut. <laughs> Then when I then when I say oh I can rationalize that away, um, there's a reason why that little reptilian part of our brain sometimes says hey this isn't right I can't tell you you know you can't say why 
but listen to it and, and pay attention and dig a little deeper because you'll find many times that there was something behind that that right. you're smart enough to know and you should listen to it. Isn't it funny? Because no matter how many times you get that like feeling, that small mm-hmm. intuition feeling, and how many times do you have to get that? But I continue to ignore it. <laughs> you know? yeah, when no, when will we learn? It's always right, you know, but you're like, no, that can't be right. Yeah. It's, it's like, no, right. I'm, I'm probably being judgmental or I'm being unfair. I should give the, yeah. And then it's like, no. And then, you know, six weeks later, you're like, that really should have listened. <laughs> Why? God. How, how many years <laughs> does it need? Yeah. How many years? Well, that's great advice. Is there any other? I know that was more funding centric, but anything else you would tell a future founder or maybe somebody that's just getting started? I will tell them, you know what? Um, hang in there. A lot of folks, it does get talked about a little bit more, but I don't think people talk about it enough. Um, don't compare yourself. Just do not like you can use Twitter to find information network. I do it all the time between Twitter and LinkedIn, but it's true. People show you their best. 1000% version of themselves in all of those spaces, don't compare your chapter one to someone's chapter 10. Mm-hmm. You're going to make yourself depressed. And the biggest thing I think with entrepreneur entrepreneur lifestyle is it is a lot of roller coaster peaks and valleys. So make sure that you celebrate your wins. And like a win of the week, I, for a while, actually, when we were trudging through some stuff, I had, I needed a win of the day and write them down so that you can just look back at them it's it'll keep fuel in the tank because there's going to be a lot of days where you're going to think to yourself am am i crazy why am i trying to like why am i trying to do this when i could just go to the safety of uh working for someone else or put that through Mm -hmm. um the other thing too is don't be afraid to ask for an nda oh um we've we've never heard that piece of advice Yeah, like if, if you're talking to someone about your idea or your thing, don't don't be ashamed that to be like you're not paranoid if you're like, nope, let's do an NDA before I tell you details. It'll it just makes life easier. And if someone gets like off put by that, just be like, look, I doubt I don't think you you're gonna be someone to do that. But if it comes to where that is, at that point we won't be cordial anyways. So while we're friends, while we're getting along, let's make these rules of engagement clear. So that way then, and that's also how I feel about um, MOUs. They, the clarity and documenting of those things helps. It's kind of like how better fence, you know, good fences build good neighbors, very mm-hmm. much like having those legal docs in place help you, especially in the tech world. Super interesting. Yeah, that is not a piece of advice we've gotten. And I really like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks so much. And then I guess maybe to close us out really you mentioned how there's there can be the hard days and just to hang in there but really how do you personally do that and then what motivates you to continue to hang in there today um I think the for us um and I'm spoiled and at times I I, it's an interesting thing because um you do get a bit of imposter syndrome as a female founder who is co-founding with your spouse it sort of, in some ways, feels like you can feel like you're watering down your female founderness mm-hmm. because it's like I'm not doing it all by myself, but you're still a female founder and it's still getting out of bed. Um, what I often do is a, I look at my wins, and b, I look at my vision because I ha- remind myself that everything takes uh, a baby step, a step forward every day. And so, if there's three things on my, if I'm, I'm feeling, I get through my three things and then go outside, get away from the the environment a little bit and give yourself some reward because you do need to take those breaks. When you catch yourself burning out, you, you have to, Mm -hmm. um, you just have to step away. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's not for weeks. It could be an hour or so. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be a Just giant a vacation. <laughs> yep. Right. Very cool. Well, I lied. I actually thought of something else. Um, I am curious, any tip for maybe another spouse, co-founder, founder, duo, any tips for them? How is that when your co-founder is your spouse and how to, how to maintain that relationship, the business, the personal, any tips for them? Um, there's a couple of things. One, um, you, like we have, we actually work from, because everyone's remote, um, because we work with different countries and things like that. We have our offices on two different floors. Um, it's important to get that physical space. Mm-hmm. Don't share an office. Just it's temp. Don't, and make sure you have offices. Don't, um, think that a kitchen table and a living room are going to be enough. Yep. Um, cause you're gonna be spending a lot of quality time in there. The other, um, advice is communicate. Like if something's pissing you off, say something, uh, don't let it boil, don't boil in because if you don't have that communication, it's going to hurt your marriage and it's going to hurt your work relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely best when there's something to open your mouth and say, and give each other permission to do that. Because a lot of folks are like, oh, you guys must just do everything together. And you prepare for that togetherness time. And in order to do that, you've got to make sure that the air is always clear. Mm -hmm. So much good stuff, Susan. Sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add about your journey or about Pragmatic Digital? Um, you can, uh, if you want to get in touch with Pragmatic Digital, our website is pragmatic.digital, or you can always um, find me. Uh, I have a, a bit.ly link, so it's bit.ly, uh, Susan Westwater, um, and you can get all of my contact information. I'm on Twitter at SJW75. That's a lot of places where the voice and tech community talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always open to helping people and giving advice. Awesome. Thank you, Susan. Really, really appreciate your time. This was really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.